We're going to talk about maximizing your potential today, all right? Maximizing your potential. I want to read this story to you. It was 4 o'clock on a cold, wet winter morning. The snow had turned to mush. The wind blew with a vengeance, and the entire day seemed destined to be a, 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 sort of, a source of depression. The small town appeared to be drug, uh, drugged as farmers, storekeepers, and street sweepers dragged themselves to their places of business. Suddenly, a young boy, about 12 years of age, uh, appeared on the, on the time-weathered cobblestone sidewalk, skipped, uh, skipping along as he clutched onto an old cello case. The smile and quick stride revealed his anxiety and anticipation of reaching his, in- his intended destination. The little boy's name was Pablo Casals. His uh, interest in and commitment to music at such an early age inspired even his teacher and, and proved to be the seed of destiny for one of the world's greatest cellists. Through the years, his work, accomplishments, and achievements have been, have been testimonies of greatness that stand worthy, worthy of emulation. Millions have enjoyed his live performances. History will always hold a place for his ineffable work. Yet after a lifetime of distinguished achievements, Pablo Casals, at age 85, continues to rise early and spend most of the day practicing his cello. When he was asked during an interview why he continued to practice for five hours a day, now I want you to catch this part, Pablo Casals replied, because I think I'm getting better. Listen, people, and I want to I open today's message with this statement. People that become great at anything. Churches that become great churches. Okay? People and those churches must never confuse with what they have done with what they can still do. Okay, people that become great never settle with what they have done and never speak the words, there is no need of that right now. People that become great look at the current situation and immediately want to improve it. They do not care about what they did before. They do not want to sit by waiting for the situation to change so that they can put forth the proper effort. Um, They see every situation as a chance to put everything they have into it. They want to put everything they are, everything they represent, and everything they know into a situation and immediately make it better. Okay? Let's look at a couple examples of this. If you look at the the story of Abraham, Abraham was a a moon worshiper that lived in Ur of the Chaldees. He, uh, in Genesis chapter 11, I think it's 11 or 12, uh, and, and God says to him, go somewhere else. Leave your kinfolk and, and go somewhere else, and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, I want you to think about this. This is a guy who is 70 years old. Okay, we're not talking a spring chicken here. We're not talking a guy who's just starting his family, young married, you know, guy. We're not talking somebody that's, you know, got his whole life ahead of him. We're talking somebody at 70 years old. God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now listen, he is married to a woman who's probably 15 years his, his uh, younger, so she's 55 and barren. 
Okay, we're not talking one of these ladies that has 12 or 14 kids already that's just fertile all the way up until, you know, whenever. I mean, we're talking a barren woman who's 50-some years old, and God's calling them to go out and start a nation. What's God doing here? God is saying, Abraham, you are more than what you have become, all right? He accepts a call and a vision from God to give birth, not just to a kid, but to a child who will change the world forever. Now, this is a pretty, that's a pretty heavy call. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big thing that God's asking him to do. Let it, I mean, even for a, a young guy that's, that's full of vigor, <laughs> okay? But for a 70-year-old man to accept a call, I'm going to go have a baby with my barren wife that's going to change the world. Listen, Abraham believes it. Okay, and he sees it come to pass when he's over a hundred. Okay, he doesn't sit and go, okay, I'll put forth the effort when the time is right. No, God tells him to do it, and he starts doing it. He leaves Ur of the Chaldees, and we know the whole story of Abraham. If you, if you watch the Bible series, you, you saw the first episode was about Abraham. Right? But if you've, ever, if you've read the Bible at all, there's all these places and things that, that Abraham goes and does and, and is all becoming part of becoming the father of many nations. He, you know, he sees the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He changes his name. He goes to Egypt. I mean, he has all of these things going on. And finally, the day comes when he's over 100 years old that it comes to pass. Right? Moses, at around 40 years of age, changes careers from being a sheep herding fugitive from the law on the backside of the desert to becoming a leader of a nation, a deliverer of people, okay? By the time he was 120 years old, he led over 3 million people to the foot of their destiny. What's God saying? Moses, you're more than what you have done. Now let's look at Moses for a second. Moses wasn't just just a sheep herder in the desert. Moses had been the prince of Egypt, lived in the palace, had success handed to him on a silver platter. He could have been pretty much whatever, wherever, whenever he wanted, Moses had it. He laid all that down and went and accepted a call from God and finally became what God wanted him. He was always more than what he had become. David worked tirelessly in the backside of his kingship. As he got older, we all know about what he did when he was young and he killed Goliath and he had the mighty men and, and one guy fought so hard that his hand froze to the sword and, and then one guy killed Goliath's brother and another guy killed a guy with six hands and, and or six fingers on his uh, hands and six toes on his feet. Y'all ever read that story? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of crazy to start hearing stuff like that. And, and we know that he had battle this and battle that and he had the birth of Solomon. And, and, but on the backside of his kingship, he actually spent most of his time Time preparing to build God's temple. He had been the king that ruled the country, but God called him to do something else, and so he turns his attention and becomes more than what he is, and I'm going to be more than just the king of this country. I'm going to be somebody that builds a house for God, and we all know that he spent so much time preparing it that Solomon actually fulfilled that. David changed his career. Paul, the greatest of the apostles, in my opinion, said this, and we opened our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse number 23, said this, Are they servants of Christ? 
I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift in the sea. I have traveled on many long roads. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have, I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the city, in the desert, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without uh, enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Now, here's the part I wanted you to see this in verse 29. Who is weak without, feel, feeling, without my feeling of that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? All of this stuff here, Paul says, I've done this. I've done, he basically presents his resume. <laughs> I mean, he walks up and flops it down and just goes, bam, look at that. And then he says, am I tired? Yes, I'm tired. And he says, and people out there are telling me they're tired. Who else can say they're tired that I can't say it with you? That's what he's saying. I'm tired. I feel your weaknesses. The reason I feel your weaknesses is because I've done just as much or more than you have. He was showing how hard he had worked. He, he had shown how much he had been through. And he admits to feeling weak and tired. But if you know anything about the life of Paul, and you, go, uh, and you, and you study him out all the way, you know, more than just what we read in the book of Acts, he did not go quietly. Paul spent his final years writing the letters to the churches that we all, three-fourths of the New Testament is based on what he did in his latter years. It's most of the doctrine that the church of today is founded on because it was when Paul was on the backside of his apostleship, he wrote these letters that we all live by today. He didn't go quiet, quietly. Okay, no matter what you have done, no matter what you've accomplished, no matter what you've achieved and experienced, there is always so much more left within you to develop and express. No matter how small or how new or how important thing, unimportant things seem, that is the time that your best should be coming out. Your best should be making a difference right now. I, I read this quote in a book the other day, and it really jumped off the page at me. It said this, the tomb of the extraordinary is the ordinary. What is ordinary? What you are willing to settle for when you know it can be done better. Paul's thoughts can be summarized in his statement, statement to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He said this, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul gave everything that he had, and he, had, he gave everything that he had left to give and was ready at that point to leave 
his body. He was going to go and die empty. He had maximized his potential. Now, I want to look at two words here. I want to look at the words maximize and mediocrity. All right. What is the difference between the two? Now, we hear the word mediocre all the time, and, 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 it, and we all know that it's not a good thing. All right. But mediocrity can be defined as this. Living below our known potential. The things that we know that we can do, and we live below that. That's being mediocre. Okay? It doesn't mean bad luck. It doesn't mean, you know, do it, you know you're just lazy. It just, it just, all it means is you know what can be done, and you're willing to accept less than that. Okay? To maximize means to give all, to give your greatest, to give your ultimate. In order to maximize you, your potential, you have to do a couple of things, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Don't, number one, don't allow the uh, circumstance, circumstances to dictate your effort. Let your effort dictate the circumstances. All right? There are people that only respond to a challenge when they deem that the challenge is worthy, right? You ever heard, you know, maybe when you were younger, your parents would be like, you know, you better do this now. Oh, I'll take care of that when. Now, I used to say that about church. You know, I mean, when I ran from God and had my, my stint of, of rebellion in there, uh, you know, people would be like, I mean, you better get back. I'll get back in church when it's time, you know, when I'm, when I'm older, I used to say that. When I'm older, I'll go back to church. I'll, I'll get serious with God, but you know what? I'll read my Bible more when. Other people say that too. You know, you know I'll start my diet tomorrow. <laughs> okay, you know, there's all kinds of, of, of variations of this. People um, will, will actually deem a challenge necessary for their effort instead of allowing their effort to be full all the time and changing the situations around them. There was a story that my pastor used to tell, um, and he, he, I'm sure he still tells it, but uh, he went to a private school in um, Oregon. And uh, while he was up there um, in high school, he had a track meet, and he was a big track guy and, and liked to, you know, was, you know, uh, he did the uh, 220, did that quite often, was very good at it. And if you ask him, he'll brag about himself quite easily. Um, but uh, he said one day, uh, his dad only got to come and see him. His dad was a, a famous minister, and, and, uh, and his dad only got to come and see him run once. And he said, so I was really ready to give it my all that day. And my dad's in the stands. And he goes, as we started, I come around, and I was in the lead. And I looked at, kind of looked at him out of the corner of my eye, and my dad stands up and leans across the thing, and he says, he's catching you, he's catching you, he's catching you. He said, man, so I dug, he said, I hit another gear I didn't even know I had, and I'm like, really? And he goes, I came down and crossed the, crossed the finish tape, and I'm looking around, and the, ne- the nearest guy was 25 yards behind me. And he goes, and I heard my dad's voice all the way down. He's catching you. He's catching you. And he goes, I just kept digging as deep as I could. And he goes, and I turned around, and there was nobody around me. And he goes, and I walked up to my dad after him. And he goes, what was all that about? And his dad looked at him, and he said, don't run any slower than that anytime you run from now on. He said, now you know what you can really do. I mean, how many times have we done that? How many times have we allowed the situation to dictate what kind of effort we give. If you want your potential to be maximized, you need to give every effort you have 
and dictate the circumstances. Anybody ever heard the saying, practice makes perfect? I'm going to say to you today that that's wrong. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Because if you go and you practice something and you practice it wrong, and then you get out there to perform it, guess what? You're going to do it wrong in front of the whole world. It isn't just doing something, all right? David was anointed to be the king by the prophet, comes to his house and pours oil on his head and says, you're the one that's going to lead Israel, okay? But he didn't go and sit around the house and have all of his brothers kiss his signet ring and order people around the house, and okay? He didn't just go and do that. He went back. Look at what David did. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Verse number 17. Now, this is a very probably the most famous story in the Bible. In my, in my opinion, when people think Bible stories, they usually think top three, what would you think they were? I'd say Ten Commandments, David and Goliath, and the crucifixion. I mean, I, I mean you've just summed up the Bible, all right? Noah's Ark may be in there, number four, okay? So we're talking about David going to fight uh, Goliath. And uh, this is just, this is a little bit before this. David gets anointed to be king, and, and, and watch what happens here, okay? Let's look in verse, um, now let me bring you up to speed. Uh, in verse 17 here, Saul is, is, is looking for somebody that can play for him because he's having a, a rough time, and, and, God, and God has rejected him as, as king, and, and so he's having this, this hard time, and he's, you know, he's having the mully grubs, you know, <laughs> those down days, and, and he asked for somebody to, to get, bring me somebody that can play for me, all right? And in verse number 19, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, now catch this part, who is with the sheep, all right? Now listen, David didn't go and say, I'm supposed to be king. I'm going to go lay around the house and be a fat cat. No, David went out and gave his best effort at what he was doing right then. What was, he, what was he doing? He was learning to lead. That's what shepherds do. They lead sheep. A friend of mine went to Israel one time, and, and uh, he said it was amazing to see a real shepherd with real sheep. You know, first of all, he had to get over like every thought he ever had of Christmas, you know, with the towel and the headband. <laughs> he goes, hey, he goes, there'd just be a guy walking, uh, and he goes, you know, and it's really hard to tell a herd of sheep and a herd of goat apart. You know, here we, we kind of think billy goats with the, but there they, they look almost exactly the same. And he goes, I saw one guy walking behind him with a, you know, a stick and was driving him like, you know, yeah, mule, you know, and it's like driving him. And he goes, and then there would be another guy walking, and they're so attached to him at the hip there, at the, at the thigh, he, he, pretty much wherever he goes, it's just like they just kind of follow. It's like they, they can't hardly walk a, a, at all. This is the kind of leadership David is learning. He went back and went back to being with the sheep. Now let's look here in verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 34. We all know the story here. So, uh, uh, Goliath is there throwing out the challenge. And David says, I'll take care of it. And they're all just like, <laughs> whatever. You're going to take care of it? All right. Check this out. David said to Saul, verse 34, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and And the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, 
seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. David went back to work with the sheep, but he didn't just go and work with the sheep like, I'm going to be king, so this will be easy now. And he just sat back and took it easy. No, David went back and gave a, listen to this, a giant-sized effort to his normal-sized circumstance. Now listen, if you give a giant-sized effort to a normal-sized circumstance, it will produce giant-killing habits in your life. Okay? David went back and put everything that he could do into being a shepherd. Everything. He gave it his best. How many of you know it would take your best to kill a lion? It would take your best to kill a, a bear. And I don't know how many coyotes and wolves were around. It would take your best. David gave his best every time. A giant-sized effort on normal-sized problems or circumstances will produce giant-killing habits in your life. If you don't give your best effort every time, then you can't give your best effort when you need it. Everything we do deserves the best that we are. Okay? And the best that we can become. Our marriages deserve the best that's still hidden inside there. Our friendships deserve the best of things that are are still hidden. Our job, our jobs, our careers, they deserve the best of everything that we have still inside. You students, your schooling deserves that extra effort that you have yet to have given. Our giving, our volunteering, our ministry deserves things that we have yet to pull out. Our relationship with God deserves that hallelujah you haven't given yet. Deserves that chapter of the Bible you have yet to open. Your everything that you do should always be done the best that you can. Every effort should be everything that you have at that moment in time. We, we here at this church, we're small, but we're giving everything that we have right now like we're a church that's large. Why? The effort isn't needed yet. There's not enough people there. We don't have the people to really pull that off yet. Listen, if we wait to the point that we, until we're big, we'll never get big. Okay? We have to give our best effort in everything that we do now. Our effort will always change, uh, change things to the level that we give it. Okay? If you don't give your all, don't expect all in return. Believe that you are a highly equipped instrument that God has created and that on the inside of you is the power to change every situation that you face, even the small ones, right now. All right? I read a, a statement one time, everything reproduces after its kind. Y'all have, read, y'all have probably heard that before. Everything reproduces after its kind. Strong effort will produce strong results. My father-in-law, who's a speaker, he says this all the time. You know, you don't reproduce what you want. You always reproduce what you are. Okay? When we finish, everything should be left on the field. Everything should be left on the table. I should be able to walk away saying I gave it everything I have. 
Keep in mind this, every, that the effort that you give tells a story about yourself and the God that you serve. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16 says this, Jesus is speaking, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is it then, uh, is it then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill and it cannot be hidden. Nor do they, uh, nor do they light a, a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father with, which is in heaven. This is not just about saying the right things as Christians. Now listen, the, the, the denomination that we came out of before we came here, um, we were a word of faith church. And it used to drive me crazy. I, I, I used to use the term confession police all the time. You know, it's like, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing okay. Well, confess it and possess it, brother. If you're just okay, that's all you're going to be. And the people that were telling me that, their life was far worse than mine. <laughs> Okay, so it isn't just about saying the right things and, and having all the lingo down and speaking Christianese. It's not about that, okay? All right? The effort that we give in life will speak louder to people, to somebody about Christ, than even our words will. All right? Anybody know any Christians that sit around and don't do anything because they're waiting on God to do something for them. <laughs> Those are usually the people that are confession police. All right? I, I heard a story of a, of a pastor, and uh, you actually know this guy. Um, this pastor went to go buy a television, and he's standing there in the, in the store. And I, I think I've told this story before. He's standing there in the store, and um, this guy walks up to him and recognizes him. And says, uh, hey, I, I know you. You're a pastor so-and-so. And he said, yeah. He's like, oh, man, praise God. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian too. And, and, and he just wants to have this big, long conversation about the, the common ground of spirituality there. And that's a great thing. I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. But the pastor stops him and says, that's great. Um, can you tell me about this TV right here? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah well, yeah, and bless God, man. You know, just, and he just keeps talking and talking and talking about God and church and what the Lord's been doing in his life. And, again, those are all great things, but the pastor's there on a very short time. He doesn't have a lot of time to, to really, you know, he's got to go get his kids from school. And he's like, can you please just tell me about this TV? And the guy goes, yeah, just a second. I'm going to just tell you. And God this and God that. And just blah, blah, blah. And, and then and they finally the, the pastor goes, look, I, I appreciate what you're telling me. I really, I really do, but I, I have got to go get my kids, and I'm supposed to have this TV bought and home. So can you, you know, my wife is expecting me. Can you please tell me about this TV? And the guy goes, oh, yeah, well, I don't really know. I'll have to go get somebody for you. <laughs> and so the pastor says, the pastor goes, I would much rather have this guy walked up and told me, yes, this is an element, 39-inch TV, it's a 1080p, and just tell him, you know, five um, HDMI inputs and two component inputs, and, and just tell him everything about it, and then just go, and as he's checking him out and ringing him up and telling him, wowing him how great, much he knew about it, he'd go, you know what, I'm also a believer, praise God, I watch you on TV or whatever. That would have been so much better witness for that pastor. He goes, I would have been, felt much better about that guy and, and, about my, and, and about the fact that we serve the same God than the, the, for him to come and waste my time wanting to talk about God but not really do his job very well. Okay? 
Listen, that's what Jesus was saying here. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good, come on somebody, works and glorify your Father in heaven. We got a lot of people talking the talk, but they're not giving every effort to be as good as they can be and do things as good as they can be. Good works will show more people about God than our words will. Why is that? Does God love people who do good works more? No. Does God want to just bless them more? No. According to, uh, according to the Old Testament, God go, gave them things that they were supposed to do. In Joshua chapter 1, verse number 3, um, he says, I'm going to promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. Now, notice he didn't just say, okay, there's the land, it's all yours. Now, just sit and look at it, how pretty it is. No, he said, now, walk up there, and wherever your foot touches, that's going to be yours. Does that mean that, you know, if you go and study that out, Judah, man, they walked everywhere. They, if, you, if you look at the map of what the, the tribes all took, Judah's is like twice as big as anybody's. Does that mean God loved Judah more? No. God's not a respecter of person. But if you go and read what, what Judah, the tribe of Judah did, they walked and 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 they just kept walking and they just kept doing it and they just kept doing it. And finally they said, okay, that's enough. You've taken enough. Was it because God loved them more? It's because their effort, come on now, catch this, their effort was more for God to bless. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse number 12 says, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. What if, what if somebody does work harder and work more? What does that mean? That means that God has more for them to get blessed. God can bless them more because he has more to put his hands on. Listen, what story are you telling about yourself and God? I'm tired. I get that. I'm worn out. I get that. I've worked all day. I totally understand that. I've got so much going on. I get it. But when you're doing those things and you're out there doing those things at work and you're out there doing this, are you giving it everything that you have? Lastly, I'll say this. This is my last point. When you give all you have, at that point, you don't have to rely on your own strength anymore. Psalm chapter 44, verse number six. For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us. In God, we boast all day long and praise your name forever. forever. Now, he says the first thing right there is, I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But if you go and read the Old Testament, every one of those Israelites knew how to use a bow. A bow. Every one of those guys knew how to use a sword. In fact, I quoted that one a second ago, that one guy that, that David was the king of, he, he, uh, he fought so many um, of the enemy, so much of the enemy, that the, the Bible says his hand froze to the sword. Now, I read that the first time when I was a kid, and I was like, what in the world does that mean? Was there like snow, and it was like, this, like God just like, the only way to keep him from letting go was to freeze his hand? No, I, I found out what that meant one day, and I almost found out yesterday, I experienced it again. Back in the 80s, and I am a child of the 80s, which this church regulars know, I say it all the time. I'm a child of the 80s and proud of it, okay? 
when the first Nintendo came out, there was a game called Tecmo Bowl. And I used to take the Raiders with Bo Jackson and Marcus Allen to the, to the Tecmo Bowl all the time. And one day, my cousin, had the, he had that, and I literally played for 12 hours. And when I finished, I could not raise my thumbs like this. They were like this. They were frozen like this. Okay? And, that under, and yesterday, Preston wanted to play, uh, we got, a, we got a, um, uh, an Xbox, and he wanted to play, you know, Skylanders or something like that, and, and, and we, we literally sat down and started playing, and, you know, and I'll admit it, I'm a big kid, I admit it, all right, but, you know, I play with my boys, and then we're in there playing, and, and literally four hours later, I was like, okay, we got to put this down, we've been playing for four hours, okay, and I was starting to feel this again, I was like, oh. I can't do that again. But this is what frozen to the hand of the sword. It didn't say his hand was frozen to the uh, edge of the sword. It said his hand was frozen to the handle of the sword. So they knew what they were doing. They knew how to use it, and they could swing it well. But they didn't trust in what they knew how to do, but they still did it well, okay? When God's effort takes over, The more that you give him to work with, the more he can pour his strength out on. The more he pulls out of you when it needs to come out. Because the more you put in, the more he pulls out. The more you do, the more he can bless. And the more he blesses, the further you go. The more influence you have, the greater success that you can become. You see more results. And it's not because you're so strong and you're so great, but because he is. All right? Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number, uh, number 10. Then he said, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy, come on, of the Lord is your strength. Psalms 28, 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts him. My heart leaps for joy and helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my songs, I praise him. In order for your potential to get maximized, you have to give it all, but then you have to rely on God's strength. Don't sit back and wait for the opportunity to come. Give your best effort now. You want to see some amazing things happen on a regular basis? Go do your best right now. You want to see people get healed? Go lay hands on them right now. You want to see the impossible happen? Go give the impossible that you feel isn't, isn't coming out of you yet. All right? The children of Israel didn't possess the power to knock down the walls of Jericho, but they had the potential to march around and shout. God gives us potential, but also gives us his strength to make it happen. We, have just, we just have to be willing to do what we can, then rely on his strength. When we rely on his strength on our effort, he delivers us, he promotes us, he increases us, he heals us, he makes us everything he wants us to be. I can dare say that I'm going to be successful. I can dare say I'm going to be wealthy. I can dare say I am healed. I can dare say I am delivered. Not because God's just going to do it, but because I have been created to be that. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, The thief comes not except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. That, that verse literally says this. I have, li- I have been created uh, to be, uh, I got to get it right now. 
I am, I'm a living creature that is going to rise up and move and have my distinction to be more than sufficient, to be more than abundant, to be extraordinary, to, to be more than usual, and to the point where I have excess. That's what Jesus was saying here. I have come so that you can live, rise up, and move in, be in sufficiency, abundantly, extraordinarily, more than usual to the point of having increase. How do we get that kind of life? Well, if Jesus came to give it and we're born of him, come on somebody, then we're born that way. I was born to be a success. I was born to be above and not beneath. I was born, come on, to be the head and not the tail. I was born to be more than a conqueror. I was born, come on, this is good. I was born to do all things through Christ. Come on, through Christ who strengthens me. I was born to be that. That's how I maximize my potential. Your strength can, may only have taken you as far in your life as you are right now. But the potential to be in you is to do more, placed there by God, and if you do it, his strength kicks in and will take you the rest of the way.